What's going on, guys? It's Nick here, back with another video. We are lucky enough to have JM on for one final show this week. So I've prepared some questions regarding flex-worthy wide receivers that we're going to discuss in the show today. Before we go over that, a quick shout-out. If we do not get to your specific start-sit question, then that's okay. The goal of this video isn't to go over every possible decision. It's to take a deeper dive into the more tricky ones. You know, those wide receivers like 25 through 35, the, the really difficult ones to figure out who you're starting. So if we don't get to your specific question, that's okay. I have a Friday and a Saturday video that might do that. If it doesn't go over that in those videos, still fine. You can always reference my rankings on my website, thefantasyfootballadvice.com. That's going to give you an exact answer to what I think. And also, if you want a free in-depth breakdown of every single game, click the link in the description. That's going to bring you to the best article in the industry, which will absolutely answer any question you have regarding your player. So there are plenty of places you can go if we happen to not touch on 100% of your players. But I think these videos are super valuable because we're able to get much deeper into the strategy behind each play, which is not going to just help you this week. It's going to help you uh, become a much stronger player overall. So like I said, we've got JM here for one final video this week, and I want to make the most of it. So JM, how are you? And are you ready to talk about some flex-worthy wide receivers? I'm so excited. We were talking before the show about last video was running backs, which a lot of times you're talking opportunity and role, but with wide receivers, we get to talk game environment so much more because a lot of these are tight decisions for week one, and it's going to come down to what we expect the game flow to be and what we expect the distribution of targets to be and the upside to be and and even what you need on your roster for the person you're competing mm -hmm. in. So yeah, I, I like this question. I love what you said about diving in a little bit deeper. You know, at, at one week season, one of the things that we talk about is teaching people to fish in DFS, but it's the same thing in fantasy is if we can help you understand how to think through these decisions, then it makes it that much easier for you to make sharp decisions yourself. And so, yeah, I think diving into some of these a little deeper kind of allows the viewer to be able to take other situations in week three, week four and say, you know what, here's how I see this. And then they can use their own thoughts as a baseline instead of using somebody else's thoughts and then use your thoughts to basically balance off that and say, okay, yeah, Nick also agrees with me or Nick disagrees with me. So now let me think of this a little bit deeper, but I think that's the best way to play fantasy is to start from your own baseline of thoughts. Yes, exactly. You know, it's one thing to just be like, you know, answering this person or this person, but then you have to just that every week, you know? So if you can think through these plays helps a lot more. So the first one we're going to talk about is just Kansas city wide receivers in general. I think most people will agree that Juju is clearly the one we'd want. We're not going to talk about Kelsey as a wide receiver. He's obviously like sort of a wide receiver on the team, but just talking about like Juju, Sky Moore, MVS, Hardman, all of them. Do we feel confident in any of them enough that are not named Juju basically to start in the flex? And then I guess what do we think about Juju as well? It's a great game environment. 53 and a half point total. Uh, KC by four and a half, it looks like. And it's KC at Arizona. Like this is one of the games that if it pops off, you're going to see a lot of production from everyone. And so how do we feel about wide receivers on the Kansas City side? I'm going to throw it to you first. I'm super curious your take on the on the Chiefs wideouts. So for me, um, I'm just thinking through most teams that drafted these players. Juju, you probably got around like the maybe fifth, sixth round, we'll assume like a 12-team league. And so given that that's kind of what filled out your your flex when you were like drafting and it's a great game environment and i think that he's the most valuable I, I i would really like to start juju this week um he had that like knee thing i never thought that was like a big issue and it never seemed like they were overly concerned like i would honestly just throw that completely away um but i just think he's the most valuable and it's like this is still kansas city uh, as much as they lost tyree kill um maybe they're overall a little bit less efficient if we have their number one wide receiver in a game with a 53 and a half point total, there's a lot of upside in that. So I think if I, if I have Juju, I'm just starting him. Um, I have one league drafted right now. I don't, but if I had him, I'd start him. The other ones, I feel like you're going to be very excited if you have them on underdog. Um, they're players you can cycle in in tournaments, I feel like, on in like DFS, on DraftKings. As far as like a season-long format, 
unless you need significant upside, I like I don't feel confident enough in the role, especially of like uh, Michael Hardman. I don't feel confident enough in the targets. Sky Moore wasn't really playing with the ones enough in the preseason for me to think he's going to have like a huge snap share. And then MVS is just never someone I think is going to command a significant target share. And so I wouldn't start any of the other ones personally. But if you have a different take, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about MVS this year. And maybe it's fool's gold. We had Aaron Rodgers was talking him up last year as like all these strides he'd taken. And then the, the Chiefs came out and signed him. So you feel like there's an echo chamber that you're like, well, people like MVS. But uh, I'm with you on on the way you laid all this out. I also want to mention, you know, you mentioned the injury. And I think that a lot of times we're so excited for week one as fantasy players that we amplify all of the news. But a lot of these teams really rest guys the last couple of weeks of training camp. And they'll have, oh, this lingering knee issue or this lingering something or other. And really, it's just getting them fresh for the season. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not too concerned about Juju's knee issue or anything like that. And I think that, you know, this is one of those spots where the upside's so evident, right? On any of these guys, I think that the the Sky Moores, the McCole Hardmans, and another thing you said that was really sharp was, you know, you can play these guys on underdog. And that made me think about, there's a player, we'll actually get to this player a little bit later. I was messing around with week one rosters for DraftKings last night. And there's a player who I have almost none of on underdog. But that could be a mistake, because he could have a big season compared to where he was being drafted. And so I was looking at him for week one on DraftKings and saying, well, I have very little of him on underdog. So maybe in my 1K buy-in on in week one on DraftKings, he goes on that roster because now I have no investment in him in, on underdog, but I can hedge that over here that if I'm wrong on him, this is the lowest price he'll be all season. And so you can also think about things like that. Like you don't have, our tendency is to want to go all in on guys and be like, okay, well, I've got, MVS and underdog. And so I want to start him here and I want to play him on DraftKings. But if you can kind of think through things differently, you can play all the angles and benefit over time from what's going to happen. But yeah, I like Juju a lot this year. I think that we there's a lot of guesswork on what his role will be, but I think that we're probably right. And if we are right, the upside is there. And he's certainly a guy who has a shot to produce higher than where you drafted him. And this is one of the best game environments. So yeah, I think that the other guys, if you're pretty thin, say you went running back heavy early in the draft, running back heavy, tight end, you got your Kelsey or your Mark Andrews and you got your quarterback and now you're thin at wide receiver. I could see throwing a Hardman out there just because the upside's there, but the downside is there as well. Yeah, I would say um it also obviously depends on your your league like if you're an eight team league it's not even in consideration for these guys um you're in a deeper format maybe there's like multiple flex spots maybe three wide receivers two flex spots you can start like five receivers or something they get a little bit more in consideration and you you do typically want to lean towards very good game environments when you're making that call on like those lower end flex spots and this is obviously a good game environment but i would say for the vast majority of people you didn't draft anyone that's not juju high enough to where you have to start them it's just very unlikely that you did and so i would just like wait one week let's see what the target share is let's see if mbs does go out there and have like seven deep targets and then we're looking at week two like okay this is a guy that maybe i want consistently in my flex spot for week one it's probably not worth the risk we're at like full health full like no buy weeks full rosters it's probably not worth it if if it's not juju in my opinion so number two is Amonra St. Brown in autoplay until Jameson Williams returns? So everyone's very excited about Jameson Williams' uh, long-term talent. I don't think there's very many people who think he's going to be a bust. Obviously, we've known for a while it's going to take a while for that to happen. While he remains out, I mean, Amonra St. Brown's very clearly the guy. DJ Chark is is fine. Uh, Amonra St. Brown's the guy. Um, I think he's going to be the clear leading targets over Swift, over Hawkinson. So... Pretty much regardless of matchup, would you play him? This week, maybe a more difficult matchup than people think. I feel like Philly maybe uh, historically, I guess at least recently, isn't like, a, oh, got to avoid the Eagles. They have a strong defense uh, this season. Uh, total's pretty high, though, 49-point total. Eagles by four, uh, which is a little bit surprising, I think, to maybe a lot of people um, thinking that like the Eagles are you know, a pretty good team. Lions aren't that good of a team. Four points, pretty close. Um, but what do you think about him under St. Brown? I think that 
he's been being overdrafted down oh, the no. stretch. <laughs> um, if you drafted him, you I think you're starting him. I think, though, if you have a, a close call, and here's my thing. So this is a week where I really – I do like him this week. I've played around with him, and I'm, I'm primarily – a single entry to three entry max player on DraftKings. So if I'm playing a player, it's not like you, know, you hear a lot of DFS players like I'm playing this guy, I'm playing this guy, I'm playing this guy because they're playing 100 plus lineups. And so to put that in context, if I'm considering a guy, I do like him because it's a very tight player pool. And I like him because you have Slay and Bradbury on the outside for the Eagles and camp reports have been raving about both those guys. And it's not like Chark and Reynolds are going to be beating those guys too often. So this should filter targets to the middle of the field. I think Jordan Davis is going to be an absolute monster in the middle for the Eagles. It's going to be continue to be difficult to run on them up the middle. Although the Lions do have, you know, one of the top offensive lines in football. So that'll be a good matchup there. But my thing here is, so Brown, St. Brown was like uncoverable down the stretch last year. It was unbelievable. So he's clearly that guy in terms of talent, but in terms of volume, all those double-digit target games, like Hawkinson was out, DeAndre Swift was out. So you have one weapon instead of three, and you have a guy who can get open in tight spaces. It's not like they're bracketing him and, and double-covering because he can line up in the slot and get open underneath. And so it's easy for him to pile up those double-digit targets. I, I had a hard time with him in underdog when he was being picked around pick 60 just because it was like there's other guys there that you like and – where are the targets going to fall here? So I, I could see the Lions throwing more this year, but I don't think that he has this giant target share that he had last year, just, just in terms of like the, they have these other weapons they want to get the ball to as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not like I don't like him. I'm just a little lukewarm on him for week one. Like give me some of the guys that you might be starting him over, I guess. Okay. Interesting. That's one concern. So, if we can very easily think back to uh, Brandon Uke last season, very different situation with like getting, you know, in the doghouse and stuff, but kind of thinking through what happened a little bit when they had Kittle injured like two years ago, they had Debo injured for a while. And so everything kind of went to a Uke. Uh, they were game planning everything to that. When those players came back, everyone was like, oh, you know, he's not actually as involved as we thought he was going to be. Could that happen? You know, when you bring Swift back and use him in the receiving game, you have Hawkins in the receiving game as well. Now we see Monroe St. Brown not with 10 to 12 targets, but 6 to 8 targets. And if they're very low ADOT, maybe that ceiling isn't there. I guess my thing is I do think he's uh, more talented uh, than definitely than what people thought when he was being drafted because he didn't get drafted super high. Um, so I think he's very talented. Um, I think Hawkinson isn't someone who's going to command a massive target share. I feel like what we've seen from Hawkinson is, is going to kind of continue. He's going to get some targets each week. Going to be good for tight ends, but not necessarily. Like, he's not Travis Kelsey. He's not Mark Andrews, stuff like that. So I still think if you drafted him, if you drafted him this summer, it was somewhere between rounds five and seven in general. I think I would still start him. I think um, they're going to have to throw. Vegas thinks they're going to score, which gives me... Hope that maybe he can be one of those that score. Uh, very good camp reports again. He's easily the top wide receiver target. I feel like he's a very safe play. I do still think he has some upside. So I think I'm playing him personally. Yeah, I think he's I think he's safe. I think that, and it depends on the league you're in and what your depth is. You know, if you're in a in a league where you're starting two wide receivers and a flex, you might have somebody that you like more in that flex spot than St. Brown. And I think that the I think that you're not going to get buried for not playing him. It's going to be harder for him to have just a monster game with a full stable of weapons there, where you're beating yourself up like, why did I not start him? Mm. But it's also he's not going to hurt you if you start him. It's not like he's going to dud and get you two or three points, which some of these other guys we'll talk about could because we are guessing on roll and all that. And yes, like the game environment also certainly plays in favor of him in terms of Lions should be trailing, they should be having to pass, and like I said, this we should see targets somewhat filter toward the middle of the field here. So there's plenty to like. I, I'm I'm a little nervous in terms of where people's expectations are for him True. for this season yeah. and where they could end up. But generally speaking, uh, I mean, I love the player. And I, and I actually, I think this offense is going to be good this year. So um, certainly on board in like a macro sense. Yeah, there's a lot of sharp people that like the Lions overall. Um, I think like Levitan bet... Um, them to win the division i believe obviously at like plus a bunch but yeah. like you know a lot of sharp people are on their team this yeah year. And you think about uh, every year there's going to be a team that goes from 
three, four, five wins to playoff contender. And and there's no reason why it couldn't be the Lions. And and we're not just saying that because we've watched hard knocks. It's like, you know, you you pay attention to this team and there's a lot to like. They're certainly one of the teams that could make a jump this year. Well, they played well last season. Really given well, yeah. They had. You know, and given given the talent on the team, they did well. So. Yeah. Do you remember when? Do you remember when um, Derrick Henry had like his coming out party a few years ago? He had his first monster game against the Jags, and the Jags just like weren't trying. <laughs> I remember. I think it was Miles Jack. Yeah, he had two hundred like, yards, four touchdowns. Yeah, got like stiff armed up the sideline where yeah. it was like he just you know got shoved down like he was a child. Like we didn't see that from the Lions. Like the no. Lions played hard all season, yeah, and they kept getting to. better, and they were tougher and tougher to face deeper in the season. Yeah, it's gonna mm-hmm. be a fun team to watch this year. Definitely. Next game, let's go over the Denver game. This is going to be a really fun one to watch. They made it on Monday night. We've got Russ traveling to Seattle, take on the Seahawks. Six and a half point total. I don't think that's enough. I think Denver just steamrolls Seattle in this one. 43 point total, so we're not looking at like some massive shootout here. Uh, I think the general consensus to... Start the summer was maybe that like Sutton and Judy are like kind of interchangeable. We don't know which one's going to be better. I think the community has kind of shifted as the summer has come to a close to say like most people agree that Sutton is the one that you would want over like the long haul. But I feel like this week, if you've got Sutton, if you've got Judy, you probably just want to be throwing both of them into your starting lineup. It feels like a game that Russ is going to want to go out there, throw for four or five touchdowns. That's obviously you can't project that to happen, but it feels like a game where that could happen. And I don't want to be sitting there on Monday night watching him go nuclear being like, oh, yeah, this makes all the sense in the world. They're going to be controlling the clock the entire game. They're the better team. They're clearly the top two receiving talents like this makes complete sense. So would you say both of them probably in your starting lineup this week? Yeah. And and, uh, in a sense, you're asking the wrong guy because I've got. 25% 25% Russell Wilson and on underdog, I've got 23% Sutton over 20% Judy. But I mean, to me, the answer is yes, 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 yes. And we look at, if you have Russ on your, uh, if you have Russ on your roster, Sutton on your roster, Judy on your roster, roster, congratulations, in my opinion. Like, I think they're going to have a, a big season. And we look at Vegas lines and, and we're like, well, Vegas lines are efficient. And so we generally don't want to s- assume that they're wrong and so on and so forth. But two things on that. One, Vegas is Vegas is efficient because there's millions of dollars that come in on either side of a bet. They get a, a pretty sharp first line, and then that, that final line moves into the right place because all the money moves it into the right place. Vegas makes money as long as it's 50-50 because they get the VIG. And so what Vegas is good at is finding that median line. So if we talk about one thing we always talk about in DFS, or at least on one-week season, is we say, if we played out this slate 100 times, what would happen? And so Vegas is good at getting that middle point in that, question of if we played out this slate a hundred times but there's some games with a 43 point over under that oh if it goes above it maybe it's 48 points maybe it's 46 points right there's other games with a 43 point over under that can go up to you know i had a, a top 10 millimaker finish one time where it was a lions bears game with a 43 point total it was when stafford and calvin johnson were still there cutler was still there alshon jeffrey nobody was on the game and it ended up blowing up for like 66 combined points right so this game probably won't go for 66 combined points because I don't see Seattle putting up the points, but I think in this spot, you know, it's easy to look at the over under and be like, Oh wow, really? You know, Seattle favored by under a touchdown and over under is only 43. And then you realize, yeah, but Seattle can still, I mean, uh, the Broncos can still put up um, 30 plus points. And I, I agree with you, man. I think that, I think Russ is going to have a lot of control and ownership over this offense. I think it's been a very collaborative process so far with, between Hackett and Russ, which is similar to what we saw with Brady and Arians, except it took Arians longer, right? The first half of that season in Tampa, it was a Bruce Arians offense. And then by the end of the season, it was a Tom Brady offense. This is going to be a Russell Wilson offense run by Nathaniel Hackett. And so I think that, you know, we've had reports of Russ wants to play fast. Russ wants to pass the ball more. Russ wants to keep the, the foot on the gas pedal. And, He's heard all these whispers and rumors about, oh, like Russ isn't the same anymore. You know, two years ago, you read Mike Sando's quarterbacks piece where he talks to all these GMs and scouts and coaches and they rank all the quarterbacks in tiers. It's like Russell Wilson's a tier one quarterback, you know, like one of the six or seven guys. And now they're all like, 
ah, Russ doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> it's like, really? Okay. After one season with mallet finger? And <laughs> he hears this. Like, he's one of the most focused, hardworking, dedicated mm -hmm. players in the NFL. Like, I feel like he wants to come out and make a statement this year. Yeah. And, you know, if this were like a Tom Brady situation, everybody, anytime there was like a Tom Brady statement situation, everybody talked about it for months and got all excited about it. Russ, we don't really have enough of a track record of these types of things. But it's like, if you pay attention to Russ, that's the type of person he is. And I think that, I mean, I agree with you. I think he wants you to just come out and, and shove this game down Seattle's throat. I, I think he wants to put 40 points in it. You know, look at, look at Burrow against the Ravens last year, two different times. They put 40 plus points on this mm -hmm. team that usually slowed down the passing if they had a lead. And for whatever reason against the Ravens, they're like, we're going to keep scoring. We're going to go for 500 plus passing yards. It was some record they were chasing in that game, right? Like, I think yeah. Russ is going to come out and just be like, let's put up as many points as we can. Yeah. And, and do you think if, if he gets up, you know, 27 10, that he's like taking his foot off the gas? Like, no, he's just going to go know. out there and continue chucking the ball around. <laughs> if and it's we're the just third see, quarter, like, if it's the yeah. third quarter, yeah. Like, yeah. I think, see, I mean, you remember all those Brady years where, and, and, you know, other teams are like, you know, or at least other fan bases are like, well, the Patriots really just kept their foot on the gas deep in the game. But for the Patriots are like, look, we're trying to win a Super Bowl and every game rep is quality practice. It's like quality opportunity to get better. And uh, yeah, I could see the Broncos using that excuse and being like, yeah, sure. We're up 17, but we want to keep scoring points. Why not? Yeah. We also, we can add on that um, I do play Russell Wilson and so far my only draft that's happened in week one and I'm also playing Jerry Judy. Like they're playing <laughs> against me. So we can be very sure that the touchdown record will be set. <laughs> um, yeah, like on the other side of this game, so if we think if we think Denver is putting up all these points, um, I think a lot of people will agree, you know, Sutton and Judy start them. I think a lot of people agree with that. What they won't agree with maybe is the other side or at least won't, know what to do with because Metcalf was significantly lower in ADP this year than he has been recently. Uh, Lockett significantly lower because everyone's projecting a very low volume offense, very inefficient offense. But if they're going to be down probably immediately in this game um, and maybe not want, like, I don't know if Kenneth Walker is going to really play this week. And so maybe they don't want to give uh, Penny like 30 carries. Like they're going to have to throw the ball at some point and they really only have Lockett, and Metcalf, as far as like talent is concerned. So what do you think about them on the other side? I don't think anyone's projection system is going to have them projected as good plays. But if you had them, would you slide them into the flex this week? Yeah, I'm looking up these Geno Smith game logs right now from last year just to get the specific numbers. But Lockett had a huge game mm -hmm. last year uh, with Geno Smith. Here's DK Metcalf. So Geno started four games last year. Uh, Metcalf had a five for 98 and two touchdowns in one of those. And I'm trying to find the locket one. There was a locket one where he had like 150 something yards in the game. And, and so in these, you know, we got two starts and, or I mean, four starts and here's another two for 96 and a, and a touchdown for DK Metcalf. And in these four starts, we were able to get, okay, here's locket 12 for 142. In that same game, Metcalf had two touchdowns, six for 43 and two touchdowns. So, I mean, I think that the fear over these guys has been overblown. I think that when we grade things in terms, we, we grade things in terms of rankings, right? Like Geno Smith is the number 32 quarterback in the NFL, which makes it feel that much worse to play a wide receiver with him than like the number 26 quarterback or the number 25 quarterback. Mm -hmm. But realistically, like, these what separates the number 25 guy from the number 32 guy is practically nothing, you know? And so people aren't sitting here like, Oh, I can't draft Elijah Moore because Zach Wilson's not very good, mm -hmm. but like the margin between like, yeah, Zach Wilson's better than Gino. And obviously his ceiling's a lot higher, but in terms of like at present, the margin between them isn't great. So yeah, I think that the fear on these guys has been overblown Listen, if you probably got a really great deal on Lockett in your draft. And yeah. we know that Lockett has a wide range of outcomes. So I wouldn't start Lockett over a player who's clearly better than him because here's the thing with Lockett. 
Is he going to put up monster games this year? He is. But is he going to put up duds? Yeah. So, you know, you basically take a risk-reward approach with Lockett. There's going to be times where he's on your bench and blows up, and you're like, God, he put up 30 points. I would have won this week if I started him. Mm-hmm. There's also going to be a lot of weeks, and, like, pay attention to it on your roster so that you don't beat yourself up. There's going to be a lot of weeks where if you had started Lockett, you would have lost. And so, yeah, Lockett's a little tougher. Metcalf, I think, has that. It's just such a big frame that it's hard for him to not get some points in in mm-hmm. a game, especially a game where they're probably going to be behind and throwing the ball. So, but yeah, I, I just think that the fear has been overblown. And you know, look at Lockett's ADP and the ninth, eighth, ninth round on yeah, underdog. Probably. Yeah, it's just a lot of upside to, to be found here. There's going to ha- have some big games. Yeah, I, I will say I got almost zero Metcalf on underdog because. His ADP went down, but it wasn't like it cratered. Like I feel like Lockett's truly cratered. And there was actually a lot of teams that I ended up getting Lockett because I'm just sitting there like, okay, like I can take Lockett or I can take like the third best wide receiver on this team that like might be good. I'm really not that sure. And he was kind of like that last wide receiver. I was like, well, I don't want these other positions. I kind of want wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, Lockett's probably going to have a lot of games where he scores four. But then he's going to have like four games where he scores 25. And that's going to be really valuable underdog. I'll say with the season long, this one to me also depends on this one certainly depends on your team. So there's something you've gone over where it's like, you know, maybe just like start them, maybe don't start them. I feel like if you think you're like the clear favorite, don't start Lockett, basically. Like don't lose the week because you started Lockett. If you're looking at it and you're like, wow, this dude I'm playing got McCaffrey and Saquon somehow. They let that happen. And then they've got, you know, like, I don't know, pits fell and you're just like sitting there like, how am I going to take this team down? It's it's probably with Lockett. It's with someone who could score 30 and you can get the upset. So this one's very specific, I think, to what your roster is, what your opponent's roster. What do you think the difference is between the two? Do you need that upside or do you need to be safe? And That's if you're if you're watching Nick's videos, there's also a chance that you drafted thinking about players who would be better deeper in the season, which a lot of times means, you know, I can't tell you how many how many season long seasons I had where I finished seven and six or eight and five, but I had, I had like a hundred seven and six seasons. And in most of those, I went like six and two down the stretch, right? Because you're kind of willing to take a few losses early. So if you drafted that type of team, there's such an edge in just getting one of these wins in the bank because that that's such a big swing deeper into the season. And so if you're like, yeah, I'm kind of an underdog in this game, rather than just, crossing your fingers and hoping that you end up somehow beating this person. Yeah. Consider saying I'll throw in Lockett and just hope that the upside hits and I sneak an extra win that, that shouldn't actually be mine because of this. But I agree with you. Uh, it's, it's very team dependent here and you know, your draft capital on Metcalf is probably going to be higher and you might feel forced to play them based on what you have. But I think that you assess this, you have to assess this on like a broad range of outcome spectrum. Mm-hmm. And again, we, we get, in this negative habit and fantasy of being like binary in our thinking, it's like this guy's the right play or the wrong play. But realistically, you know, I remember a couple of years ago doing a podcast with somebody and was talking about Julio Jones had been on my DraftKings roster and had a huge game. And they said to me, uh, they said, yeah, but you got kind of lucky there because the Julio's touchdown was on this busted play where such and such. And I said, anytime you get a monster game from somebody, you got kind of lucky. When you watch these games, there's you know, guy makes a, a contested catch in the end zone that he just as easily could have dropped or missed tackle that leads to this huge gain. And so when we when we realize things are on a spectrum, then we can make better decisions. Mm-hmm. And the spectrum for Metcalf is pretty broad. So you just have to realize, look, he could help me a lot, but he could also he could have 60 yards and two touchdowns, or he could hurt me if if you know things break the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, just very important to consider that. When you look at a projection, it doesn't mean he's scoring 11. It means on average, he's probably going to score around there, but certain players are going to be much closer to that on average, and certain players are going to be have a much wider like standard deviation. You know, yeah, along those notes, too, one thing uh, that you guys can leverage this week, so uh, the link that Nick has below the video for one week season, everything's free week one. So one week season is primarily a DFS site, but we have tons of stuff that's valuable for season long players, including lots of free stuff all season. All of our game by game breakdowns are free, which obviously Mm -hmm. helps you tremendously. But week one, our DFS tools are free as well, which includes our projections. And what we do with our projections is we let you run percentile projections. So you can actually run like 
what is every wide receiver's 50th percentile, which means what would happen, you know, half the time, what you just look for in projection, but also what's their 20th percentile in order. In other words, what's like their bottom one out of five game. And then what's their 80th percentile projection? What's their top one out of every five game type of outcome. And so you can get a better sense too of like, Oh, here's the risk reward on Metcalf. His 20th percentile is really low, but his 80th percentile is really high. And do I need that compared to this other player? And a tool like that can help you make these start mm-hmm. sit decisions. Because if we just look at median 50th percentile projections, that doesn't help us if we need to figure out ceiling. If we need to figure out how high can this guy go, I need to chase this, this guy I'm competing against this week. And so using something like that, uh, the projections tool on, on OWS, since it's free this week, you might as well leverage that and kind of be able to make better decisions on on your end uh, this week. Not something, if you don't play DFS, not something you need to pay for in season. Just use the free stuff, the the NFL Edge, where we break down all the games. But for a week like this, when it's free, you might as well take advantage. Yeah, and I, I've definitely used that tool in previous years as well. Like just understanding, oh, we're looking at a 90th percentile, and it's like, oh, this guy actually has absolutely no ceiling this week. Maybe I do need to go with someone else. So very valuable tools. Uh, our next one is a decision that I have to make this week. So I had to include it in the video. And if you use the rankings, honestly, many people will probably come down to this decision because there are two very common players that I think a lot of people drafted um, in a range where we draft wide receiver, in a range where it's your flex. And so it's like very common decision I think a lot of people have. Christian Kirk at Washington or Devonta Smith at Detroit. And I think the biggest thing for me and what this comes down to is what do you think that split is between A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith? If you think, you know, it's much, much closer to even, then maybe you are leaning towards Devonta Smith. If you think A.J. Brown comes in here and dominates him by like 10% in the target share, then maybe you're leaning towards Christian Kirk. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on which one you would start. And then I'll say which one I currently have in my starting lineup. <laughs> so Kirk is the guy that I have none of on underdog at Oof. ADP. And then I'm like... I probably will end up playing him week one just because he's 5,100, right? If I'm wrong, mm-hmm. then this is the cheapest he's going to be all season. Uh, I think that both of these, so if we look at like the macro of the game environments, it's what a 43 point over under for Washington and Jacksonville. Yeah, gross it's, game. It's not expected to be a great game. Whereas Philadelphia, you have a 49 point over under and Philly's the favorite team, which means less passing, but also means more opportunities for touchdowns but there's a lot of unknowns in this washington jacksonville game so i'm not super concerned you know i was tempted to play this game in like high dollar small field tournaments and stack it up then i was like i really don't need to make take that risk but if i were playing like a like a 10,000 entry tournament on DraftKings, i'd be taking stacks from from this washington jacksonville game just because there are a lot of unknowns the over under is low but you have wins against Doug Peterson, who's a coach who his relationship with, I mean, talking about grudge match, his relationship with Peterson just absolutely deteriorated down the stretch. It it was like one of those COVID relationships where the people broke up in March and then there was the lockdown and they were stuck living (laughs) in the same house together for like a month or like, that's what that relationship was like. And he's going to want to stick it to Doug Peterson and Doug Peterson is going to want to show that the Eagles made a mistake and letting him go and that he can turn Trevor Lawrence into this great quarterback. So I think there's a chance, you know, bad secondaries on both sides. There's a chance for this game to pop off. I think that we see, eight or nine targets from Christian Kirk if things break the right way. I think Devonta Smith is capped at more like six or seven targets. So that doesn't mean that Devonta Smith can't outscore Christian Kirk, but in terms of like what would happen most often, I give the edge to Kirk in this one. We also have, you know, Philly's going to be more pass heavy this year than they were last year, but there's no need for them to be like a pass dominant team. They're designed essentially at this point, like the 49ers, right? Like they have a good defense. They can kind of bully people on the ground. And then they have guys who can do things after the catch. So get these short area, you know, ball in their hands, guy in space. So I don't see Devonta Smith turning into a double digit target guy when he wasn't that last year. And now they brought in AJ Brown. But I think that Kirk has that opportunity to become a consistent eight, nine target guy. And so I see the the talent edge goes to Devonta Smith. The the team edge goes to Devonta Smith. The overall team touchdown expectation goes to Smith. But just in terms of volume, I, I like 
Christian Kirk in this spot. And like overall, I give him a slight edge, even though he's a little less likely to score a touchdown than Smith is. So yeah. who do you have in your flex spot <laughs> right now? And what's your take on this? I have Kirk right now because um, I'm both, I think in half PPR, like 10.7, 11 points, exact same projection, like to the decibel. So it's very even. <laughs> I was thinking through whenever that happens, and this is like a, a good tip for most people. You have the same projection. It's basically, um, well, it's tough when you don't do out the projections, but if you can think how I did the projections, um, I basically think, okay, what if I'm wrong on the projection? Which end am I more likely to be wrong on? And I feel like it's more likely that if I'm wrong on Devonta Smith, it's that AJ Brown is AJ Brown and he just takes over. He gets, you know, I think I have like a 6% gap in like the target share right now. Like maybe it's like a 10 or 12% gap in the target share. I don't think it's I'm wrong because Devonta Smith is now getting more targets than AJ Brown. And when I go to Christian Kirk, I'm like, okay, if I'm wrong, it's probably not that Christian Kirk is uninvolved in the offense because I don't have him being like, you know, he's not like a 30% guy in my projections. And so I think it's more likely that he hits the higher end of the projection that they brought him in here. He's the guy. He's getting more screen passes than we think. He's getting some end arounds. Like they're just using him in more ways. And so if I'm wrong, it's probably up on Kirk, down on Smith. And so if they're even, I'm going to lean towards Kirk. I agree with you a, a, a billion percent on that. And I think there's some important things to pull out there. I know that you guys watching want to get to more players. So I'll make this brief. But I just think that this thing of being able to think into why you're making the decision, it makes it so much easier to live with this, the decision afterward because you're able to say, mm -hmm. I, I know that this could go either way. I'm not trying to guess what's what's going to happen. I'm just trying to understand what the range is on either, either side and make the sharpest possible decision. I think that's one of the cool things about DFS is it trains you to think outside the box a little bit more. You know, I think about how much... I've learned in nine years in DFS that's like helped me be a lot more successful in other areas of life and, and working with smart people like Levitan and Bales and, you know, the guys at Roto Grinders, like the over time, you just learn so much in DFS in terms of how to think that you can apply to other areas, which is why I think we were talking about this before the show. I think more season long players should be playing in like $3, 12 team leagues with their fantasy league mates or with their family or whatever, just because a it's tons of fun. The whole like spend 20 bucks, win a million. It's a ridiculous way to play DFS. But if you're playing in contests with 100 entries or 500 entries or playing with your friends, like you can sharpen your thinking. You add an extra layer of fantasy every week and you just learn so much in, in stuff like this about how to go layers deeper in these decisions. And like Nick said, OK, where could I be wrong? And so now if you start Kirk and Smith ends up being the higher scoring guy, at least you're like, OK, but my thought process was sound. I knew that there was a possibility for Smith to outscore him, but I think if we kept playing out this slate over and over again, Kirk would come out ahead because mm -hmm. I thought deeper into this. And as soon as you do that, the decision's made, right? Like you don't have to keep wondering about it. You can mm -hmm. move on to the next decision at that point. Yep, completely agree. Um, we do actually have a lot of wide receivers on the list to go over. So I think, yeah, we're going we're gonna to snap this into like hyperdrive, try and go through each one. Some of them are very much more this guy or that guy, would you feel comfortable with this person? So I feel like we got through the more difficult ones. Now we're just going, do you trust? Uh, very easy one to start off with. Do you trust any Titans wide receiver? Woods, in my opinion, clear number one. I don't, like maybe long-term Burks, but like Burks is not the clear number one right now. Um, gross game against the Giants. Titans are supposed to be winning, which is usually a Derrick Henry game. Um, what do you think about if you drafted Woods, uh, Phillips, Burks, Nick Westbrook, Akine, whatever his name is, any of them. Giants ranked 32nd in DVOA against the run last year. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Titans offensive line is kind of starting on, on the decline, but I don't think it'll be an issue this week. I, I don't see heavy passing volume. I'm with you on Woods. I like Woods this year, especially early in the year. But I think that when we look at week one, and where you probably drafted Woods, there's probably better guys on your roster. Mm -hmm. He can hit, but it's going to have to be on low volume. It's going to have to be, you know, kind of having an AJ Brown type of game with like six six targets and he breaks a long play, which Woods can also do, but he's less likely to do than AJ Brown. Not so I'm not super concerned about missing out on anything from him this week. Yeah. Yeah. I have him 39th 
Phillips, Burks, Nick Westbrook, whatever his name, uh, all outside the top 70. So you're probably yeah. not considering them. Uh, how about Godwin? Uh, shed like the knee brace or something like that. Definitely not 100%. Uh, I think that would be kind of egregious for anyone to think that he's Chris Godwin of old right in week one. Would you trust him in this first game, which is a good game environment at Dallas, about a 50 point total. Tampa Bay only favored by point and a half, meaning they should continue uh, needing to throw the ball throughout the whole game. I took, I took Godwin on both of my Mastiff rosters. It was one of three guys that I doubled up on and one of them I didn't want to double up on. And so I definitely like him from a standpoint of, where you could draft him and what his ceiling is for the season. I'm, I would hope that I had a better option in week one, but you know, you don't know when you're setting your lineup, unless, unless, you know, you're, you can set your lineups later or, you know, move, move them out of the spot and have somebody else coming in because Monday night football uh, is this mm -hmm. game, isn't it? And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sunday night football. Yeah. Yeah. Sunday night football. So yeah, you got to make it like, you know, kind of a late decision on Godwin in terms of, we don't even fully know yet if he's going to play or what news True. we'll get about snap counts and all that. So yeah, I'd be, I'd be hesitant to play Godwin while understanding that, Hey, maybe he comes out and actually plays 40 snaps. You know what happens a lot of times with these is the coach thinks it's going to be 20 snaps. And then once yeah. they're on the field, it's like, Oh, well, he feels good. He looks good. They let him keep going, but I think it would end up being like that. I think that from a risk reward standpoint, it's probably not necessary. And if you, if you bench him, he has a big game. Well, you have him all season. Like he's going to be helping yeah. you all season at a lower cost than you should have been able to get him for. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a bonus. It's like, Oh, cool. Godwin yeah. arrived early, but I would have a hard time pulling the trigger on him unless Mike, unless I just really loaded up on, high upside flyers behind him and, and, you know, don't yeah. really have depth. Uh, that's how I see Godwin this week. Yeah. It's almost like, um, most of the time you bench someone, you're like, please don't go off with Godwin. It's like bench him, you know, because the, most likely if we hear news, it's not news you want to hear. Like if we hear news on Sunday night it's probably not going to be something you want to hear. It's going to be like, Oh, he's limited to 30 snaps. And you're like, Ooh, that's not great. Um, but you hope he goes out there has, eight for 150 in a score and you're like let's go i have third round chris godwin now for every single week i did not think that was going to happen play him next week i just don't think number one i don't think that happens but number two it's not worth the risk because he could go out there definitely not be super involved come in slowly and you didn't have to draft him in that third round like you probably would have if he was healthy so wait uh, he's making my watch zero 45 or something i am projecting him to not be on a full snap count i personally don't have him but if i did I would not play him in week one, but I might draft him in. Uh, I have a draft tonight and I have a draft tomorrow night. So we'll see if I get Chris Godwin on my nice. team. Um, next game up, we have this Packers and Vikings game, which should be a very fun game to watch. Uh, Justin Jefferson is going to be a smash play every week. Obviously play him. Um, I like Thielen most weeks because it's a very con consolidated target share. Um, but I have like a, a trio of players that I wanted to see if we could rank here. Judy, Thielen, and then Lazard also from this game. So it's Thielen and Judy from this one. Uh, Judy, we talked about a little bit before. Let's just assume Lazard is fine. I guess if news does come out that like he's banged up, he's either not going to play or going to be limited, Like just throw him out. Don't play someone like Lazard who you drafted relatively late in your flex if he's hurt, like if it does come out that he's hurt. But let's just assume full health, he's going to be out there. How would you rank Judy, Thielen, and Lazard this week? Let me start by saying I like all three of these guys. Yes. <laughs> That's why Thielen, it's different. <laughs> Thielen has averaged from like a per game scoring basis for PPR, for half PPR. He's averaged about 230 points per season over the last two years, which is equal to what Chris Godwin has averaged. And everyone's like, oh, Thielen's on his last legs. He's old. Mm -hmm. like, And he is touchdown heavy in his scoring, but he has a big touchdown role in this offense. And so, yeah, I mean, his the the injuries and the narrative around him being old have led to people undervaluing him based on what his actual production has been the last two years. So, I I really like Thielen, but I think that my rankings would go Judy Lazard Thielen, and there's part of that is just like certainty. Thielen, you need more things to break your way. Uh, I would even be fine. No, I don't think I'd, I want to move Lazard above Judy. I, I love Lazard this year. I'm a huge, huge 
Lazard mm. truther for this season. But uh, yeah, I, I think that all three of these guys, if, if you have just one of these three guys, you, you should feel pretty good about what you have at that, what might be your wide receiver three or, you know, with Lazard, even your wide receiver four. four. Yeah. Uh, but I think you feel really good about what you have and it's going to pay off nicely throughout the season. You basically have a, mm -hmm. a wide receiver two with any of these guys, I think, uh, as the season moves along. Yeah. But I, 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 in um, that instance, I think that those would be my rankings. What's your take there? Yeah. I, I think you probably have that. It, it's going to, I think we can agree, Judy. Like, I, I just want Judy in my starting lineup. I think we put him first. Um, and I think the Lazard one comes down to the health factor that I knew we were throwing out. It's probably just going to come down to if the comments come out that there's anything there, like there's any sort of question mark as to how many snaps he's going to play, I would probably roll with Thielen because. You know, when Thielen's healthy, Thielen dominates. And it's very, very certain. Like, also, this is healthy. is going to be all season uh, in a game that, you know, is going to be competitive. Uh, the one thing that gives me pause in this game is a factor for both of them is just the Packers can definitely slow it down. If they're winning, they're going to play very slow every single play. They're going to let the clock drip. They're going to let it get to, like, one, two on the play clock. And they're going to run it. You know, it's going to be like, it's going to be very, very slow. And there's a little bit of unknown. I know that Lazard is the top guy. Like, I, I'm convinced of that. I don't know yet what the exact target shares are for all of their ancillary players. Right, like what those top guy means in this in this. Yeah, what version. does it mean? Does it mean 15% where everyone's at 12? Or does it mean 20 in like the very clear lead? And I think like I want to see that for a week. And like, I know Thielen's going to be good. So personally, I probably would have it. Thielen first, but I see like, I mean, Lazard could go out there week one and we're like, oh my goodness, this dude's a smash every week. So yeah, and I'm also it. somewhat risk embracing with these things as well. And so like, I'd be more willing to play Lazard. And if, if I'm wrong, be like, oh, well, I'm wrong. Just because I think his ceiling is really high mm -hmm. in this game environment. But also, I think this is a similar situation to what we said with Godwin, right? If you have Lazard on your bench and he goes off, that's not, I mean, sure, you would have loved to have had him starting, but that's not actually a bad thing. It's really just yeah. an indicator that, oh, like Lazard is going to be that guy for me this year. It doesn't mean he's going off every week, but yeah. now you're set up with, with that in place. I do think that, you know, Lazard's range is anywhere from like um, five catches for 60 yards to like nine for 110 and a touchdown, two touchdowns, right? Like he could yeah. he could go nuclear because he could see 12 targets if that's how Rodgers wants to use him in this game. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'd be more scared to miss out on his ceiling, but his floor is definitely lower as well. Yeah, I think that's a good take on the same thing as Godwin. It's like, hopefully you make the incorrect decision and he goes off on your bench and then, you know, you have weeks two through 17 of a player that significantly outperforms what you got for them. You know, you don't yeah. want to be like, Hey, I made the wrong or the right decision, but it's because Lazard stinks, right? Like that's not what you really want to do. Yep, hundred percent. Five minutes left, two questions. I think we're, we're good on the timing unless I have to scroll further. Nope. Two questions. So wonderful. Would you rather start? This is also a same game one. This is new Orleans at Atlanta, 42 and a half point total. Uh, probably the right total. It, it's not really looking like a game that's going to like shoot out. Uh, New Orleans by five and a half might be generous. I mean, New Orleans is pretty clearly the better team, in my opinion. Uh, Michael Thomas, Drake London, which would you rather have in your starting lineup week one? I don't have a strong take here. There's a lot of unknowns. Drake L London has a, a bad matchup against the Saints, but he's going to see volume. Michael Thomas, is, he didn't lose his ability to be a phenomenal route runner. But we don't know if he's lost some explosiveness. We don't know what his connection with Jameis is going to be. And also, you know, it was kind of lost in the – it's like why I never play Keenan Allen in DFS. Keenan Allen's high-priced not because he has blow-up games, but because he just can sometimes see like 15, 19 targets. So Michael Thomas, all those like huge games with Drew Brees, you go back through those game logs, they were all like – 10 targets, 11 targets, 14 targets, 13 targets, 15 targets. And I don't think we're going to see that anymore with all these weapons and the new offense, right? I think he's more like a seven, eight target guy when it's all said and done. And so maybe they use him downfield a little bit more and he has a great season. Maybe they use him in a short area role and he disappoints. I got a lot of him in underdog when he was in like the, what was that? Like the seventh round, you know, I could kind yeah, of get him into eighties. And then as he kind of started creep, creeping up to the fifth round, it was like, well, I have my exposure to him. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. need to take the risk anymore. So I like Thomas this year, but there's just a lot of guesswork here. And I don't have a strong take on these guys. And what do you think on, on these two? Yeah, 
I don't think there's a chance that they shift him into a deep role. I think that's Olave. I don't think they want Thomas running deep downfield. I think he's good at that short area. They're going to use him there. So because the offense is significantly different, less upside overall. Um, I have seen people talk about how maybe the Saints will be more passive than people think this season. But will they need to do so against the Falcons? Probably not. So even if overall the whole season, maybe they throw a little bit more than people think. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen this week. I would probably still play Michael Thomas because I I just don't have a lot of confidence in the Falcons' offense overall. Uh, Mariota is just a guy. I know Winston's also probably just a guy, but I have more confidence in Winston getting the ball to Thomas than I do in Mariota to London, which we've seen for what, like one play in the preseason. So I don't have any confidence in London. Um, If we want to throw in Olave there, I feel like that's another one. It's like a wait and see one. It's I if you drafted Olave, it was not early enough to where most people need to start him. And it's one where I just want to see the target share. If you drafted Michael Thomas in round six and you're like, Nick, I need him in the starting lineup. I do think that's fine. Yeah. He's a good player. He's not going to completely bust unless he gets hurt. In my opinion. Agreed. Uh, last one. Brandon Ayuk, Darnell Mooney, also in the same game. This is San Fran at Chicago. Disgusting game. 41 and a half. Seven points. Uh, for San Fran, pretty unlikely Chicago gets a whole lot going in this game. But if they do, it's with Mooney. So who would you start? Well, I'm speaking to the man who's the only person who, who still yes. believes in Brandon Ayuk. That is so, <laughs> uh, Trey Lance loves Brandon Ayuk. I just I think mm-hmm. that the 49ers should control this game. And we, how many times did we see Jimmy Garoppolo have 17 pass attempts, mm-hmm. 22 pass attempts, 24 pass attempts, and now you have Trey Lance who is probably going to throw the ball a little bit less mm-hmm. on pole because they want to have a different type of offense and use his legs. So I think that the game environment, you're basically, you're like probably getting five or six targets to Ayuk from like a similarly inaccurate quarterback in a better offense, or you're getting like 11 to 12 targets for Mooney mm-hmm. in, you know, from a somewhat inaccurate quarterback in a bad offense. So I, I would take Mooney here just from a volume standpoint. Yeah. But I like both these players a lot. I think the situation for Mooney is a little bit better, especially in this particular game. That's that's I have the same take. I just feel like there's a risk that the 49ers run the ball like 70% of the plays this week because they get up quickly, they can run the ball, and they can just easily win the game. And so Ayuk, even if he's more involved than last season on a per-play basis, if the total plays aren't really there, especially in the passing game, it doesn't feel like he's going to have that same ceiling. I think he can outperform Mooney, but Mooney could have, you know, six, seven more targets than him. So if it's just for these two, I'm going with Mooney. So we got through all of them. We have about 30 seconds left. Um, remember what I said, uh, free in week one, the one week season. It's in the description box. All you have to do is click the link. It's going to bring you directly to the article. So if we didn't go over your question, it's okay. You can read that article in depth, take on every single game and you're going to find your answer. So that'll do it for me. If you guys have any more questions we didn't go over, you check the rankings, ask me in the Discord, see in the two more videos this week, read it in the NFL Edge. That, my friends, is the end of this one. Hope you all enjoyed. If you did, how about hitting the like button, and how about subscribing to the channel if you're new here. Thanks for watching.